Hello, welcome to How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. I'm your host, Emily White. I just wanted to give a brief intro to both this episode and the next episode um, because they are based on Chapter 11, Repeat and Grow. So I'm just going to review everything that we've covered to date, and then I'm going to interview Cam Franklin of The Suffers and Nikki Hill next week about... um, their careers and how they continue to repeat and grow and how they've taken tools and knowledge and information from this book slash now podcast and applied it to their careers. So basically like we've done it. I've taken you through a modern release cycle and I've also taken my own advice on this. I I think I've mentioned this, but I've actually been promoting this book for, this is the third year, which feels really wild because I didn't necessarily plan that, but I did uh, a year of pre-order. I did a year of the book being out, and now we're into the third year um, where the podcast is bringing the book to life. But this podcast was always a set uh, vision and series, so we have a few more episodes to go. And then maybe I'll do some special episodes in the future, or if I hear from you all, if there's something specific or new that you want me to cover, I will definitely... um, you know, put, put more episodes out there, but the vision for this was always to bring the book to life. So really we've, we've done that. We have a few more things to cover, but, um, again, just to get us caught up. Um, so we started with get your art together, you know, knowing when you're ripe and you're ready to record. And again, like if you, you know, not to jump around too much, but if you feel, your current project winding down, which believe it or not, I feel that with this project, it it feels weird, but I also need to start working on hashtag I voted festival 2022. So I will have a team member who's going to help me continue to spread the word on this book and and podcast. I'm, I'm super grateful for that, but yeah, you know, that time, you know, when the project is starting to wind down, I still have some reviews and and some things that I want to share on social media with this project. I keep hearing from you all, which is amazing. Um, So I'll keep spreading the word on that. But uh, kind of creatively and emotionally, I I can feel this project winding down a bit. And the same thing is going to happen to you with your releases. So again, let's just review what we've covered. And although it can sound daunting to repeat and grow, to go back to the beginning, Um, it's going to get easier for you every time, just like, you know, anytime you learn something new and then eventually, you know, you can become the educator and share this knowledge, um, with those around you and those that come after you. So, like I said, the first step is get your art together. Um, you know, that that's making sure that your heart, your soul, your spirit are aligned, you know, knowing when you're ripe and ready to record. You've heard me ask that of, of plenty of artists throughout this podcast. Um, the next step is pre-recording marketing foundation, email list, text message club, and social media. Um, so again, if you're starting in particular a new band, group, project, name, moniker, whatever, make sure you have your email list, your text message club, and your social media handles in place so you can Uh, share with your fans and bring them along on your journey as soon as you start recording. Um, We've talked about the power of email and text messages. That's how you can directly communicate with your audience forever instead of just getting, you know, lost in, in algorithms that are always changing. And I just read the audio book for my first book, Interning 101. 
And that was written in 2016, came out in 2017. I think I maybe mentioned Instagram once in it. So it just shows you how quickly things change. I know Instagram is like a priority for people right now, but it's not going to be, you know, five, 10 years from now. Um, Something else will be. So that's why email and text messages are, you know, get it, getting those email addresses and, and mobile phone numbers from your fans is, is just crucial, crucial data for the long term, because that does not change nearly as often as, um, you know, the popularity of, of certain, of, of any so- social network. Um, launch a pre-order. I, I would say like, you know, when you're halfway, well, if you have a set vision and you're like, I know this is going to be an EP, single, album, opera, whatever, um, launch a pre-order and then you can start monetizing your music from before it's even out. That's the pre part, right? And then again, you can bring your fans along for that journey and, and share you know, what you're comfortable sharing along the way. If you don't have a clear uh, vision for your for your release, that's okay too. Uh, launch a Patreon and let your fans know that that's where you're going to post teasers and updates for your new recording project. And that's how they can stay in the loop and, and stay in touch. And again, you know, push out your Patreon and your email list and your text message club on your social media. I mean, use your social media to get something in return, right? Use your social media to amplify getting that data and getting um, that information from your fans that you can use forever. Um, after that, get your business affairs together and fair compensation. So before you hit the studio, uh, get together with your players, assuming you have written all the music, let them know you've written all the music, but if anyone feels that they contribute to the, the songwriting process while you all are recording, um, that they need to bring it up immediately after the session. Um, also make sure that anyone that sets foot in the studio is signing a work for hire. You're going to want to pay them 50% up front and then 50% when they sign, when they send you the signed, uh, work for hire. So that, that paperwork doesn't get pushed aside. Um, just make sure you're up front with everyone, you know, producers, engineers, um, make sure everybody knows what they're getting paid, when they're getting paid, how they're getting paid, and um, that you have uh, the paperwork taken care of accordingly, which which we covered uh, both on this podcast and in depth in the book, as well as how to get creative if you truly don't have a cash budget. How to record with or without a budget. I rarely need to touch on this, um, but you know we covered a, a variety of options. You know, from free software to high end and interviewed Pat Sansone from Wilco, who doesn't even use necessarily the most expensive options. So, you know, figure out what's right for you and just know that there's a ton of power of being able to record um, as well as distribute on your own. Uh, After that, if you are a songwriter, make sure you now you already should be registered in the U.S. with ASCAP or BMI. And and also this this just came up on a, a talk that I gave um, I don't talk about CSAC in the U.S. because they are invitation only. So that is no offense to CSAC. I love CSAC. There's great people at CSAC. If you're working with CSAC, great. But I wanted to um, share information that everyone has access to. And frankly, there's really no difference between ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC. They, you know, they do the same things and they're regulated by the government. 
So go, you know, if you know a human at one of those places, great. If not, don't sweat it. So you should be already signed up with your PRO in your particular country. Um, So go ahead and register your new songs with your PRO. And you also uh, should be signed up with Song Trust already. Um, Because again, if you have just signed up for your performing rights organization and you are not collecting on your music publishing uh, otherwise, then you are missing out on income. Um, I'm a huge advocate of song trust. Um, I've felt that way uh, from before they because they have sponsored some podcast episodes, but I felt that way before um, that happened. So um, make sure you sign up for song trust or you are collecting on your music publishing through an admin deal or a co-publishing deal. Um, make sure you are getting a really solid advance if you are doing a co-publishing deal. Um, From there, you're going to want to increase your chance of landing sync placement. So make sure that you have mastered instrumentals. um, You have everything, you know, really easy to to deliver via a Dropbox link. And and from there, you want to mindfully inform and engage uh, with your sync pitching person, whether that's an independent sync pitching person or part of a publishing company. Um, when, whenever you have news, I would say no more than, you know, once every few weeks at the top of the week, um, send a really, you know, as short as possible, but to the point bullet pointed email with your latest and greatest highlights. Here are, you know, upcoming live streams and shows that I have. Let me know if you or anyone on your team or any music supervisors would like get guest lists or guest list codes. Here's some press hits I've been getting. Um, just mindfully inform and engage to, um, you know, keep your sync pitching people in the loop. And we have an awesome episode, uh, with Tara Bird's Lauren Ross that breaks down even more tips from her that I I didn't know or or hadn't thought of. Okay. From there, you want to set up your release and distribution plan. Um, you're already, you already have your pre-order, so you should be monetizing, um, I, I definitely talk about options for PR and kind of the reality of that. And I'm still amazed that every time I give a talk on this, I hear from publicists like thanking me for what I'm saying. Um, so yeah, so, you know, I don't know if they thank me for this, but I, I don't think you should be spending more than like $1,500 a month on PR. Um, the return on investment is very indirect. You can, uh, you know, for me, when we're working with publicists, uh, when 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 the publicist uh, lands press, those links are tools for me to share with the booking agent, with the sync team, um, with a proper social media strategy. I'm not necessarily like, oh, they're in p- Pitchfork, they're going to be huge now. Um, it doesn't necessarily work that way. So if you do have some sort of a budget for a publicist and you've landed press before, Make sure that publicist knows the writers uh, that are already going to write about you and and make sure you make it clear that you are looking for press beyond these writers that have covered you because otherwise the publicist is going to be out there pitching you and be super excited that so-and-so wrote about you and you're like, oh, that person always writes about me. So make sure you have clear communication and you have assets ready to go. Um, as far as distribution goes, we talked about the options uh, between DistroKid, CD Baby, and TuneCore. More often than not, uh, DistroKid and CD Baby are going to be your cheapest options. If you're making more than $555.44 US dollars uh, a year per release, 
on streaming, TuneCore is actually going to be your highest profit margin. So figure out, you know, what the right fit is uh, for you there. But regardless, uh, the first thing you want to push out when your release is ready is ideally selling music via your website. Um, Hopefully that's where your pre-order is. And then um, from there, you want to push out Bandcamp and then push out Spotify and the digital service providers because you're not getting any data from that and you're obviously getting way, way less money um, than on Bandcamp and your pre-order or sell and or selling directly through your website. Um, we also covered physical distribution. Um, if you think you're going to sell a few hundred vinyl, which is super hard. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, or you know you will, you could reach out to the Coalition of Independent Music Stores and they're going to help you distribute your vinyl. Okay, marketing your release. Um, To be honest, I've been suffering from this, you know, for the first time in my life. Focus on your own green grass. It really, it's really, really, really hard in, in the age of social media. Although I just heard a great tip from another podcaster that I'm going to try to, um, I'm going to try myself, which is he only goes on social media when he's posting something. So uh, maybe keep that in mind to help, you know, keep a balanced mind and and support mental health. Um, Again, either way, find balance, you know, no matter what in all this stuff. Um, If posting on social media is torture to you, um, slash writing emails and stuff like that, I think you should allocate an hour a day to doing so um, because that an hour a business day. Um, because then you are, um, you know, making yourself do that crucial work. And if you love social media and you love all the business industry stuff, I still think you should limit yourself to an hour a day, um, of social media, business emails, stuff like that, because the more you get sucked into that, um, then you're not necessarily making music. And that's why we're all here. So it's, it's definitely a balance and and you want to strike that balance. Um, prepare an announcement for your email list, your text message club, your patrons, you know, make sure they get the release like a day in advance or whatever you've decided. So you're taking care of those hardcore fans. And like I said, then you can pop up, um, you know, that the release is out on Spotify, Tidal, Deezer, all of that when the time comes. But just think about that strategy of what you are pushing out and in what order. Start with pre-order slash direct a fan through your website, fan camp, and then go to Spotify and stuff like that. Everybody leads with Spotify and um, you're just giving your fan data to Spotify and getting fractions of of a penny when you could be getting dollars and data, which um, is really the foundation of this book. And again, you want to engage with folks on social media, get back to everyone, you know, everyone that's being nice, (laughs) in my opinion, favorite stuff, like stuff, all that good stuff. Um, we, we covered PR and then if you want more in-depth information, um, on radio in the U S you can, uh, review, um, our podcast episode with Melissa Garcia, as well as chapter seven of this book. 
huge shout out to Planetary Group for the love um, you've been showing this podcast and book on and, and book online. I, I really appreciate it. Okay, um, your next step is live strategy and efficient touring. Don't forget that practice makes perfect. Um, so rehearse, 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 rehearse. And if you are planning a big hometown show, maybe, and you don't have a ton of live experience, maybe, um, set up some open mics or play under a pseudonym, anything you can do to not promote yourself. Although you could pick up some fans while you're doing open mics and stuff. That's cool. But, um, you, again, you don't want to take that promotion away from the big, um, you know, release show that you've been planning. Um, we had three episodes on live strategy and efficient touring. So you should be fairly covered on how to book a, how to book a show one, uh, one Oh one, um, paying attention to location metrics, you know, um, learning how to set up gig swaps with those in your region, you know, those in the same part of the country or same part of the world you are. Um, we talked about a variety of webcasting options. We talked about the reality of how support tours are landed, which is, um, via the headlining artist. Um, so if that's something you're interested in, um, start genuinely building relationships with other artists because people want to tour with, with people they like. And again, just be mindful of what you're spending on the road. I mean, that might be frustrating to hear in the early days, but, um, you know, the Dresden dolls, you know, who I obviously came up working with, and I know I reference a lot have done a really good job of not going too wild as they've gotten bigger, you know, um, when we were starting out, it was, well, they used to just have a sound person. Then it was a sound person and me, and I did merch and tour manage. Then we added a merch person. But my point is, is like, there's never been like individual instrument techs. And, um, you know, I, I think they kept their crew, you know, it's like, if you're getting successful with the crew that you have, you don't necessarily need to add every bell and whistle in the world. Um, cause again, we, want this. We want you doing this um, for the long haul. So we want you taking home money and not just um, breaking even on tour. So it's not just about making more money on tour, um, although you can and should buy a, you know, a VIP options at shows, um, but it's also, you know, not growing your expenses. Okay. So we'll start. Today, we're going to focus on Chapter 11, Repeat and Grow, and I'm so honored to have the one and only Cam Franklin from The Suffers with us. Welcome, Cam. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Um, so let's go to the beginning. I mean, you've done so much in your career already, but you know, when did you start playing music? When did it become you know, a love for you? Oh, man. Uh, so according to my mom, I started singing when I was three. Uh, I remember that I started when I was five uh, publicly, and that all got started in church. And um, I had a choir director and a pastor at that church that were just very hands-on once they realized that I could really sing. And the choir director at that church was very diligent about uh, having me sing different parts and learn all the parts of the choir. And so by the time I entered elementary school, I already knew uh, how to sing all the parts of a full choir and so, without realizing that I had received that kind of training so, so young. And so flash forward to now, I've since 
done everything from punk rock to country to hip hop and spend most of my time working with my Gulf Coast soul band, The Suffers. And we celebrate 10 years of doing this thing that was supposed to be a hobby <laughs> next year. And uh, we're just constantly figuring out how to do a better job of it. Amazing. Oh my gosh. I love that. Um, I mean, tell us how the suffers came together 10 years at that, that. That's longer than most marriages. <laughs> you know, that's what everybody tells me. But I also tell them that being in a band is like being married. I've never been married, but all my married friends uh, and I seem to have very relatable fights and conversations outside of the sexual aspect of it and romantic aspect of it. Um, you know, we, we have very intimate uh, relationships because we're constantly in a van together and constantly traveling together and, um, you know, learning and losing and winning together. And so uh, we came together uh, back in 2011 and uh, it was started by Adam Castaneda and Patrick Kelly, my our, our former bass and keyboard player. And the whole idea was for us to be a rock steady slash ska reggae cover band, but we would cover popular music and like, you know, just different songs that we loved. And so when we started, we were covering um, uh, like Bobby Brown and uh, Steel Pulse and just, just kind of like really all over the place with it and having a good time. And sometimes there'd be 12 of us, sometimes there'd be 13 of us, but we had all become friends through the Houston punk rock and ska scene. And we all had a love for jazz and soul. Cause that was, that's what we all grew up playing. Um, but it was like, okay, well let's just see how this goes and see, uh, you know, what comes from this. And so we started off playing mainly just covers and, um, we started talking and one person had an original, another person had a couple originals and we just started workshopping one another's songs. And, you know, you have nine people with such diverse musical backgrounds. Uh, you, you, excuse me, not nine people. When we started and officially became a band, there were 10 of us. Uh, and I was the only woman at the time. And, uh, it was just, uh, it, it, it was a special loving, but also just crazy environment in terms of learning how to run a band and how to make a business work. And we weren't really looking at ourselves as a business at the time. We were very much so on our oh, you know, like we're just going to play at the local bar and get our beer money. We all had real jobs. Like I, I forget to say that sometimes, but um, like I, I was a gas and power trade analyst at an investment bank. Uh, my guitar player, Kevin, was a contractor at NASA. Uh, we had a few teachers in the band, you know, and it was it, it was just like one of those things where this was our weekend fun, uh, you know, band. And we had an opportunity to play Austin Reggae Fest uh, I want to say like maybe 2012, 2013, and a bunch of people from South by Southwest were there and saw us. And so they were like, yeah, you guys should apply. And I, and you know, I had been in other bands where we had put in tooth and nail to get on South by, right? Like the independent, nobody knows how this works, try to get on South by. And I was like, all right, whatever. And we had just started flirting with the idea of getting a manager at the time because we were starting to make a little bit more money. And I just applied to South by the old fashioned way on the website and got that first round invitation. Next thing I know, all eyes are on us. 
like, oh, you know, how did you get that first round invite? And I'm like, the website, the website, you know, like not even really thinking about it. And people thought we were lying and stuff. And um, I was like, no, through the website. And so at, at South by someone was like, you guys are good. Like y'all are really good. But if you don't play New York, no one's going to take you seriously. So we're like, oh, oh man, you know, we, we, we don't like hearing that. We're very Texan, very proud. Like you made it to Austin. You made it to South by now. I have to go another place. Exactly. Like- That's really how we were thinking about it, you know, because we had jobs, you know, and, and we were playing ska, you know, no, no one told us that you could win. Like it was always, you know, everyone's trying to fuck you or, or trying to, you know, take you for, for everything that you got. And, uh, it, it, it was just kind of a, all right, well, let's just see what happens. And then we get this gig opening for, uh, Lionel Richie at Austin city, uh, limits. He was doing the formula one racing event down there and he saw us and I thought we wouldn't get to meet him cause he was rushing to another gig. And then he saw us and he walks up to us and he's like, man, y'all are bad. Y'all stay together. They're going to try to break y'all up. And he looks at me and he's like, they're going to try to make you go solo. He's like, they tried to kick me out of the Commodore. Y'all stay together, stay together and you will win. And I'm like, okay, all right. You know, and like at that point, this is the first, this is the first like major artist that, you know, we've had an opportunity to open for. And every band that knows that first big artist you get that chance for, um, you, you listen, like, you know, it's like just in your brain. And so in my mind and in, in everything I do, because Lionel Richie was the first person to tell me, I think like, I'm just like, yeah, fuck all that. <laughs> I'm gonna keep working. I'm gonna stay focused and I'm gonna be here. And, you know, when I, when I start talking about, wow, we're really about to turn 10 years as a, be, a former ska band turned soul band turned world music, whatever we are now band, um, you know, this is, this is amazing. It's a blessing. It's an anomaly. It's a, all the things. Um, and, you know, we go into this new era of uh, not only navigating um, all the, and I say all the isms <laughs> out there, but, you know, like it's, we were already dealing with um, various forms of sexism and racism uh, on the, on the road. And now that we have our new bass player, uh, Juliet Terrell, you know, we're getting heavily educated on, um, how transphobic the world is and, mm-hmm. um, you know, hearing stories about how, you know, she wasn't allowed to play with certain artists or got kicked out of certain bands once they found out, um, you know, that she was openly, openly trans woman. And like, the funniest thing is that, when I first saw her play almost 10 years ago, actually, um, she, she was playing, we, we were both sitting in at this bluegrass night. Sorry, this is, this is a very Houston story to like, yeah, from hip hop to to jazz, to bluegrass, to Tejano. Um, but I mean, that that's just what it is. And uh, anyway, I, I met her at this like bluegrass jam that was set up by this band called the Sideshow Tramps Medicine Show at the time. And she's playing and she's playing and she's playing. And I would never in this life life meant misgender someone in t- with intent ever, nor do I think I would have ever back then. Um, but the way that we got introduced was at the beginning of, you know, when she first was openly out like that and uh, just be- being who she really was. And I didn't know her. I didn't know anything about who she was or that she was even in transition, but we had jammed together. I look at her and I can't stop looking at her play. 
and we get done. And I, I was just like, oh my God. I was like, you play like a man. And everyone in the room stopped and looked at me like, like I had said something offensive. I was like, what the fuck? And someone was like, Cam, she's transitioning. You were being such a bitch. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, I didn't know that. I was like, my, I was like, oh my gosh, that is so sexist to say. I was like, no, girl, please come play. Come, come to the, our side, please. You were as like, I've never heard anyone play bass as well as you. And like, that's no knock to all the amazing players that I've, I've played with. And then I was like, man, I, like, I want to jam with you some more. And she says, oh, I'm, I'm moving to Portland. <laughs> and I, like, I didn't know that she had mo- moved to Portland because she had been assaulted in, in Texas. And uh, that was the last that I saw of her until last summer when our bass player left the band. And, you know, when you first start touring, and you and you know this because you've been in the industry for so long, you think that the band all has to live in the same city. You think everybody has to live in the same whatever for you to survive, for you to make it work. But I have learned that like a relationship, uh, you make it work if you want it to work. And so we realized, okay, we're touring. You, we're touring so much that we could really live anywhere. Um, we had had two bass players that were both one from Houston, one that lived in LA that would fill in for Adam after he left. Um, but both were unavailable and we had a Canadian tour, one with a date opening for the roots coming up and we just couldn't, the mute, the music's hard as fuck and the timing was hard and like the money wasn't where it needed to be at the time. And, um, you know, it, it was getting really tough to find someone that we could train. And I was like, look, there's a player I know, I know we won't have any time to rehearse with her, but if we give her the chance, she will play circles around all of us, our own songs. She will play circles around us. And the, 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 the thing I loved about it is that, um, you know, and if, if you have a big band, everybody's not always going to agree. Right. And, but you, you love each other, uh, but you have your disagreements. Anyway, my, my guitar player and I are notorious for like disagreeing about all the things like for just, and it's not like in a negative, Oh, we, we just can't get along. Cause I love him very much, but like, it'll be just like little silly couples quarrels kind of stuff. Anyway, um, me mentioning Juliet as a player, Kevin was immediately like, absolutely. Yes, we must get her. And everyone was like, Oh man, if they're both agreeing <laughs> on her as a player, she must be that good. And so, um, she played those first few shows. She played circles around us. I had to remind the band to like look at each other, not, not look at Jules. Cause she's amazing. Yes. Um, but we invited her to join the band full time at the end of last year. And it, I felt so bad cause it was going to be her first year really touring and then COVID. <laughs> yeah, totally. But that's, a, that's amazing. I, I, I love that story. Um, with the Lionel Richie gig, uh, cause people always want to know, cause you were like, yeah. And then we got this, you know, I mean, you definitely like explained that it was a big deal, but how, how did you get that gig is what I'm trying to say. So, okay. So at the time that it, that it had happened, I would, I would say just hard, a mixture of hard work, uh, regional plays and relationships, because at that point we were playing Austin a lot. Um, mm-hmm. we hadn't played Austin city limits just yet, but, uh, 
we uh we, we were playing the small clubs a lot and selling out the rooms and austin is pretty close to houston it's about um two two hour drive away and so that's like our closest touring route because texas is so big it's either austin dallas houston austin dallas houston uh austin san antonio or to new orleans and um Anyway, that when we were practicing, we had to practice seeing if if touring was even possible when this band first started because we were so big. Like, yeah. will we get along? Can we be in close quarters? You know, if we bring can a tech, you afford it? huh? Sorry, can you afford it? Can Sorry we, to interrupt. Can we afford it? Can, can we do anything? The the thing is, is that we left um, our jobs in 2015 because we had an opportunity to play Letterman before he went off the air. Um, and, wow. oh, sorry. And that was the other part of my South by Southwest story that of, of our intro that didn't really make sense because we were just being ourselves. After someone was like, oh, you have to go to New York because no one's going to take you seriously as a band if you don't play New York. I was like, well, what do we have to play? And they were like, oh, well, at the time, CMJ was like the Discovery Festival. And they were like, I was like, oh, what do you mean? They're like, it's like South by, but without all the uh, commercialism of it. And I was like, mm, okay, well, fine. I'll see what it we can was do. pretty commercial. Come, I don't know who told you it that. Was, it was an industry snob, an industry yeah. snob. And, and, I don't, and I don't know a better word for it, but I, I feel like industry snobs, like they show up the same way that like normal snob like wood in your nose mucus as in you don't want it you didn't ask for that advice but sometimes you need to clear that shit out and it needs to come through you so while it might not have been the 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 most realistic advice to a very young and hungry woman uh you know it was all i needed to hear so i was like okay you know, I don't want you fucking with my band because in my brain, you know, I was like 24, 25 at the time. I was like, I'm young, I'm sexy, I can sing and I can freaking play for two hours, you know, like fuck all of y'all. And I come from punk, like I, I sing all over all these instruments and I get tired. Y'all gonna book me. And so like that was just how my brain worked at the time. And so we ended up getting on to CMJ. However, our last performance at CMJ, uh, one of the producers from Letterman was in the audience and I thought he was lying. And like, I thought he was just like trying to hit on me and I got irritated with him. I was like, you shouldn't be, uh, you shouldn't be uh, lying about things like that. Like that, that's a really big deal. And young artists are out here just trying to get their chance and you, you don't need to be lying about Letterman if you ain't really about it. He's like, no, I'm serious. I'm <laughs> I'm in New York, you know, but like this shit just wasn't registering to me that this could actually be happening. And Mm -hmm. we had played like eight shows that week. And so we're fucking tired and I barely have my voice, even though, yeah, I was like bragging. I was like, wait, oh shit. I'm learning that IEMs are used for a reason. Oh my gosh. I'm learning a lot. Uh, It ain't the same as just playing once a week or on, you know, once a month or whatever. And so, um, we played, we get ready to play. And I tell the band, I was like, I don't know if this guy was serious or not, but he says he plays for Letterman or he works in books for Letterman. So we should probably like play well, even if we're tired. (laughs) And everybody's like, what? I was like, all right, let's go. And so we played like we weren't tired and uh, they booked us three months later, but because it was the last few weeks, I kept thinking that it wasn't going to happen. And 
Um, I was like, damn, he's gonna he's gonna bump us. I was like, Foo Fighters or Bette Midler are gonna kick us off the show. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and it it was so funny because uh, you know they they both appeared on the show. I was like, man, Julia Roberts is gonna be like, I want an evening with Dave, and like <laughs> they're they're gonna be like, the music canceled oh, right. because I was such a big Letterman fan. Like I just like had this whole just fake idea of like what was gonna go wrong and why we wouldn't get to play um but we got to play and it changed our career and um at the end of our performance he said if you can't do this get out of the business and it was like it, it was like you turned on a like a car ignition <laughs> wow. and so i've been running ever since that is so cool i love that um, so we're going to dig into the book. Um, yes. You are basically my publicist for this book. I, am- I, I feel like I, someone was like, do you work for her? I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> well, I'm so grateful, but like honest, and I'm, I'm sure I've said this to you, but it's like, if first I did this book, like very much by myself, which, which that's like another story. But, um, so I didn't really have a lot of like feedback or like I asked for feedback like before it was out and I was just like okay like the one person read it out of the few that I asked like here we go so my point is like if this book would have helped one person I would have been thrilled but to see you sharing it with other artists and sharing the information like warms my heart and soul and just means the world to me I can't even put it into words so thank you for that no thank thank you for writing it like honestly um the recommendation came from uh, my good friend and professor at Northeastern University, Craig Bedenson. And, you know, he is, excuse me, I met him because he was a fan of my band, but he has just been such a great, just friend and just source of constant uh, music information in a constantly changing industry. And so he had recommended your book to me and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll check it out. And then he's like, I bought this book for you. I'm sending this book to you. And, you know, the reason I think I was like, you know, yeah, yeah, was not because I didn't want to read it, but because I was just so overwhelmed. Like I, I got it, I think at the beginning of COVID. Um, and I was like, well, fuck, I have time. My, I, my entire tour got canceled. Uh, like right before South by like um, of this year and um, the book came in and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to treat this bitch like college. Like I always complain about not having enough time to learn and uh, train myself in this industry that always pisses me off, even though like I'm in such a toxic relationship with it. Um, I was like, I will just outsmart it. I will outstudy it. I will outwork it. And, you know, this book was such perfect timing because a lot of the the stuff that you you went through um, from, you know, lay, doing a full on album plan to, you know, why the the importance of networking uh, is is almost underrated and like how you shouldn't be listening to everybody in the industry and how you should be focusing on treating yourself as a business um, why all those things are so important but you know we're we're here to talk about the 11th chapter um which is you know about the 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 growing and repeating and 
I feel like that is the chapter that I'm in in my life. You know, my my first album with my band um, was such a successful, um, almost catastrophic rise that we didn't know what to do. And, you know, we had a team and, and I'm so grateful for everyone that uh, has helped us along the way, um, but it was almost too big. And not saying like, oh, being on a major would have would have helped or hurt anything, um, but us not knowing more about the business, uh, I think like really hurt us at times. But yeah. um, at the same time, our second album, which didn't do as well commercially, um, you know, I feel allowed us to really step into who we were as artists. And the fans that came from that are like, you know, uh, super hardcore. And, you know, I spent a lot of time nurturing the fans of that record because it it just didn't get the respect the treatment the marketing plan the anything that it should have and it was almost so nice to like see that you know taking that time to nurture the the fan not like because I wanted something out of it but because you know they took the time to appreciate our art they took the time to invest in us as as fans and you know the people that we have worked with along the way, I feel like everyone always has a, an overall goal to like help nurture and support one another. Um, it doesn't always go as planned, but like knowing that as an artist, we can always try again if we're up for it, you know, people can say whatever they want about the industry. Yes, yes, yes. You can, you can burn all the bridges, whatever. But if the work is good enough and you work hard enough, I have seen with my own eyes that you can always come back and that you can always do a better job and that you can always reach a height in which you could have never imagined. Agreed. And you said something in there that I just want to clarify a little bit. You said something about having a toxic relationship um, with, with the industry? Yes, or with the you- industry. Right. Do you mind expanding on that a little bit? Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we can start with step one, that the music industry is very white. Uh, mm. it is, it is just now realizing this year how white it is, how sexist it is, and how a lot of things it is. Um, I do believe that every system is capable of transformation and change with the uh, right amount of work, training, and education brought in. Um, But there are a lot of systems put in place into the current industry. And I say the industry as a whole because I do believe that it is an industry-wide problem from uh, the way that artists are sometimes segregated uh, from from the way that artists are sometimes booked, from the way yeah. that artists are sometimes marketed, uh, from the way that artists are sometimes spoken to, uh, addressed, yep. touched. Um, there is no, uh, there is no, what would the word be? Corporate guidebook to the music industry and how we treat one another. 
the Recording Academy just this year, as you know, has done a lot of work to start step one of that. So at the beginning of this call, I told you I came from a background in oil and gas. I came from working at an investment bank. I had a lot of sensitivity training because I was working in an international business uh, environment. However, you know, they didn't always get it right. We had to do our training every year. We had to refresh that every year. So imagine I'm going through this training every year for the seven years that I worked at that particular company, not counting the trainings I had to go through before that and stepping into a music industry full time that has blatantly told me through its music, through its actions, through its marketing, through the way that it, that it advertises that black women are shitty, that Mexican people are to be over there and that trans folks, well, y'all just aren't invited to the party. You know, that's what I was stepping into. So, you know, me going places and asking basic, basic diversity and inclusion questions, I was met with, why would you ask that right now? Why would you like, do you see all the work that's being put in here? Like, you should really consider your timing. Well, I just want to play devil's advocate and, you know, talk about uh, how, you know, yes, you're probably seeing it that way. But, uh, you know, like lots of Blacks have been here before. And uh, just last year we had da 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 But when I lay out basic analytics, like... Insert music festival, I don't give a fuck here. And I say things like, why are there 60 indie rock bands filled with white boys wearing the same outfits, but me, Gary, Leon, and Shakes have to play one day apart and we're the only Black people on the entire festival. Yeah. But because I mentioned that, I get replaced. but you know like it's it's not a thing unless you make it a thing right yeah it's not they it's not a it's not a problem unless someone says there's a problem however as a black person that sees how white women are treated when they say they're not played on the radio when they're not invited to the festivals, when they put up these festival percentages that contain, oh, there's only 50 amount, 50% women on this lineup. I said, do the math for a trans person. Huh? You can't do the math for a black or Asian, Asian, like, excuse me, do black, brown, or Asian artists on those lineups. You can't, but you can, you can, right? I proved it. I did my own little lineup virtually. <laughs> like, and it, it 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 was so easy yeah. to pick people, not because they were black, but because they were talented. <laughs> and because that that was another thing I would hear. They're just not that talented. Gosh. There's just not space. And yes, we let the war and treaty come through. Yes, we let Yola. Yes, we let Devin Gilfillian because the heat is on. 
The heat is on. You're about to see way more, finally. But the work doesn't stop. Just because you let the Black folks in, I want to know where the Mexicans are. Why isn't Zeeshan B invited to a lot of these things? You know, like, (laughs) you you don't have a problem unless you bring it up. And so I tell people, I come from the land of Beyonce and Barbara Jordan. I don't have a problem bringing it up because I will outwork the blacklisting that comes from me bringing it up. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean. I've learned that there are nicer ways that I can say it. Like I, like even just now is like maintain your tone so that we don't scare the white people. But that's really how I have to function sometimes. Not because I'm trying to do anything, but because I am so angry at how hard it is for something so stupid as color for who you love for your body whatever where Mm -hmm. if i were a white man it wouldn't be a conversation it would just be how good am i of course how good am i and and it would barely be that because Mm -hmm. i've learned in that category it then doesn't matter how good you are oh his lyrics are great I'm like, okay, where's the black Bob Dylan? Where's the Mexican one? Mm -hmm. You know? Why why is Natalia Laforcade not treated with such respect, even though she is just as good of a songwriter, or Mon Laferte? Oh, it's because the people that write at these publications don't know them unless it is spoon-fed into their mouths. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why is Gagush not treated with the same respect as an Adele? Gagush is, you know, next level. But, you know, I'm learning, okay, maybe I have to ask the questions. Because if people aren't asking the questions, then there's nothing wrong. Right. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, well, I agree with you so much, like, personally, through my own experiences. But then, you know, like, thank you so much for playing the I Voted Festival. Oh, yes. And- that was so crazy. You were so, like, I was like, this is so wild that they are doing this. But congratulations to you and thank you for having thank us. You. But I mentioned that because we booked it per the data, right? So we looked at, like, okay, who are the top streaming artists um, in and or from Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, you know, all these places um, where turnout really matters. And so we were booking all these amazing artists and I'm originally from Milwaukee. So I knew a lot of the Wisconsin artists. I knew they were really good, even if the national industry hadn't heard of them. Um, Wisconsin so is incredible. That whole Wisconsin, Michigan, like, yeah, I, I tell people I'm like anywhere it gets cold, there's like a quiet musician. That's just like, oh, I'm just going to go work at, at the mill. I'm not going to, you know, be a rock star. I'm just going to just quietly play on the weekends. But I'm like, they be playing, playing. <laughs> but like, my point is like, the industry coalesces around 
you know, what we think people will like or just like our friends or the people around us or whatever. And it's actually not what fans are listening to. No. Um, (laughs) I've seen that happen a million times. I've seen, I've worked with press darlings that are in every publication you could ever imagine. And like, you know, can't sell out a hundred capacity club in New York city. Um, And then there's, there's, and, and I knew this, but then I saw it. Then there's all these artists out there that actual real people are listening to but we don't always pay attention to as an industry or press or whatever. So I'm so with you. And it's something I want to write about too. It's, it's just like, just because the gatekeepers well? are not interested yeah, <laughs> like, or someone like, paid a higher fee and, yeah. and it shouldn't be like that. It, it doesn't have to be like that. Um, yes. But you know, it is what it is right now until someone steps up. You know, I, I hope that you write about that because there are a lot of analytics that just really don't add up after a while. And this is just from someone that used to look at that kind of stuff, you know, like, I'm like, okay, where, 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 where is the hole, you know, and that, and I, and I always try to take myself out of those equations because I really do believe if you continue to work hard, you will, you will get past all of the obstacles that, that come toward you. However, that's if things are fair and there are things that are not fair (laughs) Uh, across the board right now. And, you know, you can talk about it from everything to streaming services, to radio, whatever. And, you know, everybody, everybody has their own opinions on it, but uh, (laughs) please write write your stuff. I want to see, I want to read and share. Awesome. Well, and that's kind of what this book is about. It's just like, well, what are the gatekeepers anymore? Because the whole point is just, you know, is to have fans and to build and grow that fan base. So let's go directly to them um, because we can. But I will say this, and I call this out, you know, like if I'm, I, I teach at NYU sometimes and sometimes I'm, I'm on like the senior panel to like, I don't know, like judge the seniors presentation and stuff. And it's just like, you know, if, I remember this one kid, like his dream was to be in a pop punk band or he he was a pop punk musician and he's doing all this stuff. And I was just like, get some women in your band, play with people of color. You want to stand out? Everyone on Warp Tour is white. And I love Kevin Lightwood. He's going to be a guest on this podcast. But like, I feel like I'm constantly pointing that out to the all guy bands and the all guy bills. And I'm just like, not only like... I. I mean, I feel like you hear what I'm saying, but it's just like, oh, it's, I, it's, I, it's not even that I hear what you're saying. It's that I, I know what you're saying because, and I, and I hope that not only the men listening, but I, I especially hope that the, the lovers of Kevin Lyman, I, I loved Warp Tour. It was a, it was a, uh, like an amusement park as it could. Sure. Um, but I also know that it was like, quite a few warp tours before I saw a black person really like climbing up the bill. And I think it was gym class heroes. Um, but, but you know, like those are the things that I remember, uh, as well as the women. Like I, I remember, uh, Paramore being one of the first women that I saw early on, um, that like was even remotely close to my age at the time, but like those moments matter. I agree with having women in band, with women in bands, people of color in bands. I think bands should be so, uh, so different so that 
you know you're going to get challenged and you're going to learn something so that you're really, really creating some art and not just, you know, the same shit with people that look like you and sound like you. Yeah. That's so again, board. that's not just for white folks either. Yeah. So it, it's on all of us, right? Because Kevin, um, I should have said he was a podcast guest because it was a previous episode, but um, <laughs> Ron and I voted board. He's, he's just such an amazing human being. You know this, like he's one of the most progressive people I know, but he and their, and it's all women who work for him, yeah. um, but he and their team can't, book artists of color and you know women if if it's if if we're not bringing these musicians into the projects right yeah so um yeah I mean it 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 literally starts with everybody it's the way you hire it's the way and and I'm and I'm literally working not working literally talking about diversity and inclusion within the industry um and I think it starts from the ground up and, you know, I know that no matter who I work with, it's going to be diverse in some way uh, just because I'm there. But, you know, I want to make sure that they don't look at me as their fucking token that, that, oh, because you have me in your band, uh, you don't need to hire any more black people or you don't need to work with any more black people or you don't need to have any more friendships with black people or, or no, because I feel like if you aren't able to have those outside perspectives, um, it's always going to be you and your opinion. And I feel that way when it comes to, um, the industry, as far as like, um, older executives and, uh, having younger, uh, executives around, like, I feel like there's not enough interaction and I feel like that's why there is a big disconnect as far as like the artists that are out here, you know, selling tickets versus the artists that have high streams, but can't sell a ticket, you know, yeah. um, people don't want to talk about the paid, the paid playlists and all that stuff. And I think that would definitely explain a lot of what you're talking about. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard to navigate in an industry that is going to be so different when we go back, like all all of the current analytics that exist are going to really become pretty dated when people within the industry start doing what they're supposed to do. Like, I think a lot of labels would do a lot better if they would sign artists of color, like if they would sign artists that weren't so traditional, if they weren't always trying to copy, you know, what's hot right now or what's popular right now rather than, you know, doing what the label heads of your did, um, which was focus on, is it good or not? Do yeah. the people like this or not? Because once upon a time, if the people liked you, the labels invested in that. I agree. And, you know, I just to highlight this further in for all fields, but, you know, obviously we're talking about music and music industry. It's like, the I voted team was 92% women, non-binary people of color or LBGTQ plus. Um, and my point is on that is uh, we're talking about that. We're talking about this for a few reasons, but representation is what I'm trying to say. You know, like <laughs> I voted was a volunteer thing. Like we had no budget. We were just a group of people organizing it. It, it was, like I said, I just gave you those stats on our team. And, and Kevin would say, cause he, he teaches at USC. He's just like, none of my male students are applying. I'm like, well, we have a hundred percent women leadership team. Like they, 
it's, it's, it's representation. They see us leading. And so they're comfortable. And that was a lot of the feedback we got just like, Oh my gosh, this team is so inclusive. Thank you. So, you know, I think for anyone that, (laughs) exactly. But I think like, you know, people that like mean well and are new to this, but are scared or whatever the fuck their problem is. Like if that can be extra motivation, it's, it's not just like, okay, great. I have a person of color, like on our team, like we're done. Um, or I, I can just forget about this or, or whatever. It's just like, to me, that's just the biggest reminder when you put underserved communities, you know, in charge and, you know, you have them as representation. It's like all these people show up and then suddenly we have a super diverse team without really trying. Like I said, cause we're just like, who wants to help us? And <laughs> those were all the people that signed up. But again, it's women and people of color in charge. So my, my point is just like, representation. You you can't just, you know, hire one of us and then think like you're good. It's just like if, if you hire, promote, you know, invest in train, train, train. Plus, exactly. You're going to get more of us. So that's what I'm trying to say. No. And you, and you are 1 million percent, right? I, I am a product of so many different people giving me a chance, like just giving me an opportunity to show that like, look, I'm not trying to get anything. I'm literally just trying to show up and exist with what I got and maybe grow it a little bit. And you, this, the, the world we live in is so competitive and, and not focused on, uh, collaboration and helping and <laughs> I, I like it, it really blows my mind sometimes because like I look back and I'm like there were all of these reviews and you had people um really trying to showcase the best of the best in whatever this art field or this music whatever it was and today like everything is so money 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 me 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 driven that like I really do worry sometimes where I'm like are we seeing the last of how good it can get? But then I think I'm like, no, I think we're just kind of going through a really aggressive transition right now so that we can get prepared for what I really feel is about to be an extreme art renaissance. And, um, (laughs) you know, I just hope that the industry, and I mean that like every big label, every small label, that everyone is really preparing themselves to see and consume and consume uh, music art in a different way because the world is different now. Yep, exactly. So let's dig in on chapter one because I could talk to you for hours. Huh? <laughs> um, everything else. Um, so chapter one is get your art together, and what I mean by that is you know I meet artists all the time. You know, usually pre-pandemic times at conferences who are super excited to share their music. I guess they email it too. Um, but it always seems to be like, but I need to work on my vocals or I need a new drummer or whatever. Um, and I'm thinking, well, then do that. <laughs> you know. But I understand they're like excited to share their music. But I guess my point is like, when do you know, and with your band too, like when do you know when you're ripe and ready to record? And um, I guess I think what I'm also saying is like a lot of times people put the cart in front of the horse, right? Like they get so caught up on the release or the future stuff. And like almost, I think anyone can have a sustainable music career if the art is great. And so that's why this is chapter one. So when do you know 
you're ripe and ready to record and not like forcing it, if that makes sense. Um, I would say I'm ripe and ready to record and not forcing it when I'm not thinking about how the song goes anymore, when I'm more focused on uh, really just the, the presentation rather than like the writing of it. Um, it, it really varies from song to song. But uh, I personally like being ripe all the time. <laughs> like I, pre- I don't, I don't think I practice a lot, but I guess I do practice a lot. And um, say what? No, I just said sure, totally. And, but I mainly think I, I do that. I'm practicing probably more now than I ever have because I'm not singing every night, and right. uh, I do worry, like, man, will I not be? Uh, you know, as good as I was when we come back or whatever, but it's like, I feel like you have to just have that confidence. And if you're, if you're worried about like, dang, how does this part go in the studio? It's going to be a lot of work for you. Um, we all go through it. So that happens. Like, I don't want people being like, Oh my God, I just did that. Like, is my song going to suck? Like your approach is your approach. Like, and honestly, and we don't talk about the classism of this side of the industry that exists. Everybody ain't got no fucking time to be ripe and ready to be at the studio. Sometimes you have a nine to five and you have a side job and then you get to work on your band for like 45 minutes a day, you know? And so if that's all you get, that's all you get. And for my band, that's all we got. (laughs) Like we didn't have time on our first record to prepare for a fucking thing because we couldn't afford to. So some of it was recorded at our house. Some of it was recorded at the studio that gave us a deal. And a a vast majority of it was recorded at this really nice studio that we saved up for after, you know, getting a bit more popular uh, out in Austin. But like, we could only afford to be there for four days. So we put together like a full record, um, basically over recording, probably 15 days of like full recording. But the thing is, is like, we had to save up over you know a few months for that because there was no label involved because we had jobs because we had life going on and i feel like people always forget like if you haven't released anything like if it's your first time you better take your fucking time you you like i hate when people be out here rushing and making you feel like you got to get your shit out you gotta get, no if you're not ready you're not ready and this the one thing that i feel like people do get right when they talk about it is that once you are on a wave, you can't control it anymore. Either you hop on and you get all the benefits of that wave or you 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 don't do anything and then you lose a lot of money that you could have got and then it was a waste of all the hard work that went into the art in the first place. And so, you know, right now we're at a position to where we've had a lot more time to focus on um, getting the parts right, but because we weren't together, you know, we weren't able to write the way that we normally would and prepare the way that we normally would. And so because we weren't, you know, quote to quote ripe and ready when we started working on one of the songs, it took so long to get through it and to finish it. And thankfully we're almost finished with it. But, um, I feel like had this pandemic not happened, we would have, you know, practiced it until the cows came home. Um, but, you know, I feel like if you have like any type of anxiety, if you're questioning yourself or your performance or anything about the art, give yourself that time to prepare so that all you can do is have fun in the studio rather than be stressed. 
or Agreed. a bunch of money. Brilliant. I love it. Um, so chapter two is pre-recording marketing foundation, email list, text message club, and social media. So here I'm just reminding people, like, if you're just getting going or you're new to kind of the digital world, just to set those things up before you hit the studio so you have it in place, um, you know, when when you're done. So how do you connect with your fans? So we're always trying to do a better job. And I love our fans so much because our fans can be so real with us. Like, like they'll like, if we're not doing a good job, they'll be like, you know, you could like do this thing that this other band is doing, but like, you know, with your stuff, (laughs) they'll be so cute about it, but basically like, uh, hello, like, don't forget about us. Um, What's the thing? What's the thing that they're like, this other band's doing, but you're not, I'm curious. Oh, oh, I am so glad you asked because it's a thing that I still don't have access to. Um, And I think it's because it's a paid item at Spotify. Mm. Um, And (laughs) so now, actually now I think they just opened it up to the rest of us. But once upon a time, uh, even though the rest of us could like, oh, you just, you just, so-and-so just released a new track. And you'd see it go out to everybody, right? Like if you follow them, you will, oh, so-and-so just released a new track. Well, then it became, oh, so-and-so is able to put their tour dates in. So-and-so has a visualizer. We don't have a visualizer. How do you, how do you do that? Oh, so-and-so is able to actually just direct message all their Spotify fans now. Okay. How do we do that? And I would inquire and inquire and inquire and inquire uh, not realizing that I looked like an unsolicited artist, even though at the time that I was initially inquiring about some of the stuff, um, our our band, excuse me, not our band, one of our songs had gone viral on the Global 50 chart. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then like people started answering the phone after that, but like I still didn't get specific exams, specific answers i was just yeah. talked to about tears and then the person that told me about the tears doesn't work there anymore so wow and then none of the emails that i've gotten since work are <laughs> yeah. and, you know i'm not shitting on them i'm not shitting on spotify like but it, i don't i don't like it. it 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 stinks and i feel like uh you emily you know <laughs> This has been such a lovely conversation. I I don't know much, but all I know is that as a Black woman, a lot of times when I see something and I see these injustices and I speak up about it and people tell me I'm crazy or that I'm being dramatic, that shit happens again. I've predicted it with a lot of shit this year. All I can say is that if Spotify doesn't, you know, rectify... Uh, a lot of artists are going to get mad and it seems like America does a lot more when young white people get upset than when the rest of us do. And a lot of the folks that work for Spotify uh, are, excuse me, not work for Spotify. A lot of the artists that have their music at Spotify uh, look like everybody. And I feel like if everybody is being so deeply affected by right now, um, you know, like you're, you're about to see, an uprising in the same way that you're seeing with everything else. I don't know in what way it'll come, but it's like you start feeling that energy, right? Yeah. Everybody's putting their their your wrapped stuff up. And I'm like, I yeah. know it costs a lot of money 
to develop these type of analytics for millions of artists, however many they got. You know, that's nice that you're doing this for us, but I'd rather you, you know, pay us and we can do that ourselves if we want that information. Um, But I saw an artist earlier today post this and and instead of putting up his wrapped, he actually put up uh, these details and it's the same graphic. It says, thanks, Spotify. 0.00331 per play goes to the artist. Spotify profited over $8 billion in 2020, 62% of artists currently unemployed. Spotify wrapped, and I just was like, oh, my God. And then I kind of teared up a little bit, like, because 62%, 62% of us are just out here like, wow. You know, I know how hard I work, um, but the CDC just announced that, you know, racism is a public health (laughs) issue and it's like we're going through all of these pandemics at one time and then now you're telling me y'all y'all robbing the artists when y'all barely pay them to begin with it's just it's just like i just want to see people win (laughs) i want to see people work hard be nice and win and right now i feel like you know spotify isn't playing fair and um, if if they don't do a better job, I think, you know, these folks are going to revolt. I think you're exactly right. Um, are you aware of the hashtag broken record campaign that's going on um, in the UK? No. Search for that one. Um, what I, it's more than this, but I know it's like one of the guys from the band Gomez and like, they are amazing. Like, I wouldn't claim to be an expert on what they're doing, but it's like, the information they're posting is incredible. They're working with the UK government and they are pissed. Um, so well, I, I'm definitely wanting to learn more because I'm trying to get more deeply involved with artist advocacy, not only through the Recording Academy, but just just in every way possible because like, this isn't okay. And I feel like you know, going through this pandemic, when we really look back at this time, and see how many people were greatly affected because we're not able to see just how many people have, um, you know, been been lost and have lost their businesses, their homes, their their livelihoods because of this virus. Um, we're gonna look back and see the organizations that supported people through this time, and see the organizations that didn't. And you know, I think it says a lot if this organization that makes 8 billion in one year off of our art um, can't step up to make the donations and assist uh, in a bigger way um, when, you know, they make it so hard to thrive in the day-to-day. And I think that if Spotify and all of the streaming services were treated more like uh, with the same regard that we have to hold a BMI or an ASCAP to, um, I think it would be a much healthier relationship for everyone. I think that's what they're trying to do in the UK. Like, no one should quote me on that, but they're definitely oh, going the Please know I'm going to read every, like I, I had already looked it up and I've saved, <laughs> bookmarked it already because this is driving me insane. Like, yeah. it's already hard enough to argue with music executives. Let's say we're we're just all the color purple. Like if yeah. we were all the color purple and none of us had any any type of like sexual attraction to anything and we were just arguing about these deals, it would still be hard as fuck 
to survive in this industry. And so like, if I can help in any way while I am elevating to this new part of my own career with, you know, being vocal about how hard the climb is, because, you know, <laughs> I know it's taking a lot longer because of how we just, we decided to do things. And I say that it, as far as just our, like, um, our rise, you know, like everybody has to go through their, their, their ups and downs and stuff and learn how, how to work this industry better for you. But like, I've just seen some things that are just not okay uh, over the, the last few years. And honestly, like reading your book inspired me to write my own. Um, so I've started on, I've started on it. I don't know when I'm going to finish it, but like, there's so much that like needs to be said that I've had to go through with my team. And I'm so grateful for my current team. Um, like they, they are just really, really wonderful. Um, but like a lot of states that, and, and I don't mean like, this is a whole other, whole other thing, but like, as we as we grow more deeper into these 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 topics of like what's cool and what's not cool, um, I've I've learned over the years a lot of states don't realize that like touching black people isn't okay, um, and and it seems to be certain regions every time I tour through there. So I'm like, you know what? Let's let's just keep a keep a note. Let's keep let's, yeah. let's keep a tally of like how often certain things happen because. I think this will be funny and I think it'll be a lesson and something to look back on because I feel like if you don't document shit, people think it doesn't happen. Exactly. Well, I'll be your publicist when your book comes out. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Um, okay. So let's unpack that a little bit. Um, first, your fans are awesome. Cause I thought you were going to be like, Oh, they want us to like cover something <laughs> or they're like, no, this other artist is doing this thing and blah, blah, blah. So that's great. Um, yeah, the, no, they'll just get messages and be like, "We want messages like this, or we want we want promotions like this." If you're if you're doing something, and I'll be like, "Damn, I really wish I could do it through that particular platform that you use," um, yeah. but it encouraged us to take our mailing list more seriously because we have control over that, right? And it enc it encouraged us to take everything that isn't owned by somebody else that we have as a free resource way more seriously yeah absolutely and so it sounds like you were contacting spotify directly about some of those bells and whistles yeah because i had just started and literally every <laughs> and and i don't know if maybe it was just uh well actually i do know let me not lie <laughs> i almost told a fib girl um i was about to say i don't know if it's just me because that's a lie it's not just me Every artist that I knew that didn't have a direct in or somebody that like worked there or whatever, you just wouldn't get in, like you wouldn't get questions answered or it would be answered by a, a bot. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. I guess I'm, I'm pointing that out because who was distributing your music at the time or how were you distributing your music to Spotify? At that time? Yeah. At that time... Was it the first record? No. The first record we released, uh, The Orchard. The second record we released, uh, we were on a label called Shawnicky out of New York. Yeah. And nice. I would have to double check who the distributor was. Um, yeah. But 
that's where I really got to learn, in my opinion, what I consider to be Spotify payola, um, where there are certain sites that you can go to and pay and people have like the, you know, the thousands of cell phones or whatever, and will, uh, add your song to these random playlists. Uh, I also learned the difference between when a company has relationships with the streaming service and when they don't. Um, and I learned that certain times people that work at Spotify, if they're more interested, like if they, if they, if you're a homie and they like what you said, just like with any, anything else, if they like it, they'll add it. They might not understand how powerful their addition is. You know, like they might not understand that they're fucking with people's livelihoods when they take those songs off, when they, you know, rearrange stuff like that. But like those things matter, especially to a lot of those artists that are at the bottom um, that are just getting started that, you know, might might be depending on some of the like the checks that come from getting those good playlist editions and stuff and not saying that, you know, Spotify doesn't have the right to do or change or whatever, but it's like. I don't know if they understand how powerful they are and, you know, if they do and they're still continuing to do this, um, that says a lot, you know, and uh, it's, it's a, it's a tough place to exist. And I feel like talking about Spotify, you could go all day, but it's just like, um, as an independent at that time. So that was like three or four years ago. Not, was it three or four years ago? I would say that was like three or four years ago where I was, I, I had gotten to a place where I, I'll say it's, I'll say it's the dark side of the music careers that people don't talk about, where when you get a deal that is probably not the best deal for you or your label just isn't what they turned out to be in your brain, whatever, like, like I w- I'm not going to knock my label. We just didn't get along. Um, but it got to a point where I, I was convinced that, uh, they just didn't know what they were doing and right. that they had told me one thing, but I check, like I'm one of those artists that I check the numbers. I check my analytics. I check our habits. I check, you know, I, I just do that because I have learned not only through your book, but everybody's not out here for you. You know, <laughs> like, like some people, some people are really out here trying to scam you and coming from a city like Houston, like I learned early to double check a lot of stuff and I'm not always perfect at it, but it's like, if I'm asking basic things, like, do you have direct relationships with the people at these streaming you know, companies? And you say, yes. And that, you know, it, like, it, 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 yeah, it, it makes me start thinking a lot. It makes me start thinking a lot. Um, but it's not, it's not just that, like with what is happening right now, um, we have put serious work in, um, to this record that we're working on right now. Not just, sorry, not just this record. We're actually working on two records at one time and they're going to come out in two parts, but the first album, um, you know, we've approached it in a way that we just haven't done before um, from just getting a lot of help from friends, help from fans, help, like really kind of like being like, you know, fuck, fuck these labels, fuck this industry. The people are what got us here. Let's focus on letting the people help get us back and, you know, help take us to this next, uh, stage. And it's been so helpful and, uh, educational to see like 
where we needed to grow and where we can still grow because um, this industry can be very quick to put a expiration date on you. Sure. And um, which, which is hilarious to me. Uh, but we had to learn as artists that, you know, we had to really, 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 really become um, a business. <laughs> and then that's where we're at right now. Yep. Um, did you bring up any of those? I mean, you kind of said this, but like, did you bring up any of those concerns to your label or distributor? Oh, definitely. And what yep. did they say? Definitely to the label. I didn't have direct access to the distributor. So you distributed through the orchard, but you didn't have direct access to them. No, no, no. We we distributed the first record through the orchard. The second record, uh, the label went through their distributor. Yeah. So when you brought this up, what it what was the response? Uh, <laughs> like I, I'm trying, like I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking about. It, I'm like, is it slander if it's real? <laughs> I mean, and obviously you don't, you don't have to answer any of these questions. No, I mean, it was, it wasn't even like when I first brought up what I felt was wrong and what was becoming almost painfully obvious to me as far as like, no, you don't have a relationship with, uh, these with Spotify or with Apple music. Like I can tell that this playlist was paid for. Um, I can tell, like, like I, you, you can tell, like, if you have an art, like, like, it would be like, um, you have an artist and it's like, oh, they, they sound like Rancid and Tim Timebomb and, uh, Dave House and whatever. And then, uh, all of a sudden, let's say Dave House releases a, a song. And then all of a sudden, all of his sounds like changes to like, random k-pop group in korea random r&b group from uh london random rock band from uh houston and that's the only artist on all these playlists and yes the numbers are up but the vibe is off why because that's what happens when you're on a played paid a paid playlist and I accused one of the guys of doing that. I was like, I can tell that this is a paid playlist. This is not an organic, uh, organically driven playlist. Um, and he starts going on and on about some Spotify paid campaign. And I'm like, that's illegal. Um, can I see like what it is you're talking about as far as like this paid campaign directly through Spotify? And it wasn't directly through Spotify. It was through like some like, you know, when you really look it up, it would think it was like a third party company or whatever that was doing exactly what I said. Mm -hmm. And because the execs that were over him were much older, you know, I'm not with that man all day. I'm, I'm the person that had to tell my label head that all his emails were coming through in wingdings. And I'm like, if someone is allowing you to send out crazy emails that works for you, you know, they might not like you. And yeah. uh, when, it, you know, like it, it was like coming out in squares and circles and shit. Anyway, like it, it's like a long list of of grievances I have and, I, and I'm not going to do that today. Um, but I, I told them how I felt. I told them what I saw. I offered alternative solutions. I was like, if you don't have these relationships, I don't want to spend any more money over here because you are ruining the vibe of our radio. Like you are ruining 
the discovery process that naturally comes with these curated lists. And, you know, by having this paid playlist, paid, paid playlist, which lasted, I think like three months in like, oh my God, like it, it, huh, like it, it was so frustrating because even though, yes, in terms of like independent versus uh major label or whatever, I'm not fucking stupid. If we release at the right time, that everybody's releasing it, you know, like kind of like in correlation of each other, you know, everybody's listens are going to grow, go up rather you are um, super popular or not because you've dropped new music. That's just what happens. However, the people that listen to, you know, us and Sharon Jones or Leon Bridges or Tank and the Bangas, whatever, you know, they're going to start noticing if the radio is off, right? Like if they right. came for a vibe and then like all of a sudden it's like something else and it's because a paid playlist fucked that up, what happens? The people running those systems, they can see something's up and it starts to become very obvious after a while. And so I'm trying to explain this to people that didn't know that I spent a lot of time, you know, working in IT, that didn't know that I spent a lot of time working in, you know, in analytics. And I'm like, dog, you know, I'm trying to trust y'all. I really am trying to trust y'all. But it's like, if you're going to lie to me and I can see it and I ask you about like, it's like, what are we doing? Like, why would you, why would you do this? And so now, um, <laughs> it, now it, it's been about two years since all of that happened. I've kind of just looked to greener pastures and focused on making the best record that I can, um, being kind to myself and others and, you know, really just focusing on doing everything that we've been through better. Totally. And God forbid you never see a Wingdings email again, but yeah. if you do, uh, let me know. My first book is called Interning 101 and uh, I could send that over and they can learn how to write emails. So. <laughs> Which we don't teach, but I mean, it's no excuse, but like, we don't really teach that. You know, like I don't think he even knew that it was going out that way. I honestly think that he was sending messages on a Blackberry and it would, you know, sometimes depending on the font that you choose on those older Blackberries, they just come through a weird way. And so I'm thinking if you're sending messages like this to me, you're obviously sending messages like this to everyone which means that they probably think that you're spam most of the time if you're asking for anything. And so ah, you live, you learn, you move on. I, I also learned, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> there's certain things that I'm like, you know what? I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep it moving because I feel like it's like those stories that can only happen to you when there's a much greater moment along the way <laughs> in store. So that the whole year that our record came out was basically the opposite, uh, not our record, the that our second album came out was basically the opposite of like all your advice in the record. Like <laughs> our, our, so our label basically did nothing as far as like the actual release. Like they made me feel like, Every time I'd present anything that they had said they were going to spend money on as far as the marketing plan was concerned, uh, that uh, I was asking for too much. 
Uh, they tried wow. to convince me that spending money on vinyl uh, was an exorbitant expense and me, you know, being the, the numbers nerd that I am, I was like, okay, well, let me go and pull the facts. And, uh, it turned out that on our last two tours as independent, you know, artists to, uh, Europe, we had actually sold 20% more vinyl. And then like, uh, a week later into this argument, Forbes released that for the first time. And I think 25 years vinyl had outsold, uh, CDJs. And so I just sent them the link and then they were, they asked me for the invoice for my vinyl. <laughs> they argued with me down to the color, the, the color of the vinyl. I was like, you just told me that vinyl is a novelty and I'm telling you that to sell more, we should focus on having it be 180 gram and like a colored vinyl. And you're arguing with me? Like, why are you arguing with me? I've already done this part of the work for you. You know, and it's, it, it, it is one of those things that, um, I got told recently that I probably just terrified them. And I, like, I, I did, I did have a breaking point. I will say it. I definitely had a breaking point where I just said, if y'all want to act like a label, act like a label. If you yeah. want to act like a bank, then act like a bank. But I was like, you know, constantly arguing with me and not offering solutions when I'm presenting to you, uh, making me work to get things approved, uh, making, you know, my friends have to send me personal emails because they haven't been paid on time. I was like, that doesn't look good to me. Like, no. And I'm over here working my ass off. And then uh, a week after the record came out, um, we had split ways with our longtime manager. So there was absolutely no guidance for like the three months that our album was out and we were just out here winging it and we did. And it was miserable. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I'm always pretty positive. Like even when, you know, it's like, all right, well, fuck, you know, but it's like, I just know that I'm not going to stop. So I'm kind of just like, oh, this is part of the story. Okay. Um, and yeah, we we got our new management team about like three months after that. And they completely changed the way that we function and and work and um, the way that we treat ourselves and, and one another and the way that we look at the industry. And they... They work with uh, Tank and the Bangas and with Big Frida and, um, you know, had that experience and just working with bands that are just so authentically themselves. And um, it it allowed us to kind of just tiptoe into the water of can we finally be us now? Like, can we finally be us now? It's OK. You know, I was like, my record's probably going to have a parental advisory sticker on it. Like, oh, is that okay? Like, okay, great. And someone the other day was like, why would you even worry about that? I said, because people are always trying to censor me. I've all, like, mm. constantly, you know? So it's like, this this is a very new era for us. And so I'm excited to see what happens when we actually show up. Yeah, me too. I love that. Also, who has a Blackberry? I know it was a few years ago. Like, there was a lot, that, there were a lot of red flags. Okay. <laughs> 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 there's like label red flags contract red flags but sometimes you know like just like in relationships you gotta learn your lesson the hard way 
And also I'm really obsessed with intuition. So if, if, if you're feeling those red flags, even if your brain's like, no, I'll just sign this or I'll, I'll just do this. It's like, my intuition is always right. Even when my intellect is like, when I listen to my intellect, it's always wrong is what I'm trying to say. And when I don't listen to my intuition, it's like, oh, my intuition. Now I know I'm, I'd say I'm like 90% good at it. But yeah, if you're feeling those red flags, I'm, I'm really into listening to that inner voice. Yeah. So that's, that's the other part of this that, you know, we're all kind of getting into, which is, uh, a woman's intuition. <laughs> and, and I, like, I know everybody has their intuition, but if it's not, and I, and my band used to get so mad at me when I'd say it like this, but I'd be like, if there's nine dudes and y'all don't feel anything, but I'm the only woman here. And it's, it's ringing in me enough, you know, like a part of me is like, how can I, you know, make, make my point without making it sound like I'm not listening to theirs or that I'm trying to like manipulate them or something. Cause that's not what I'm trying to do. But at the same time, I completely agree with that. And, you know, we partnered with, with that label because it, it made the best sense at the time for us. And I'm glad that, um, you know, it was only a licensing deal and, you know, that it, it won't be forever. And I learned a lot and they are good at what they do when they do it the way that they think it needs to be done, I'm sure. But it's like, you know, I, I learned a lot about like standing my ground and a lot of the stuff that I asked for and got denied for is now become an industry standard. For example, uh, the billboards when people announce their pro like their projects now, I was like, Oh, this, this is like 20 late 2017. I was like, I want uh, to hire two or three muralists in our biggest cities to paint like a temporary mural somewhere that allows you to do that. Um, and I wanted to get billboards outside of uh, towns that we drive, like not drive into that we toured through often that were in casino markets with heavy driving uh, traffic yeah. because I knew that I could get 12 billboards for the cost of one in New York, you know? Right. And, but they like, they're thinking about Times Square costs. They're thinking about that kind of cost. And I'm like, I'm not trying to buy something in New York. I would rather have yeah. a more personalized experience in New York. And there was nothing, you know, I just so happened to be at rough trade in Brooklyn on my record store day. And I didn't know before this record, but, uh, I learned through working with them, there are certain uh, places where you can like, no, like, I don't know if you pay for it or if it's part of your ad campaign or something to get your album featured in like a certain placement or whatever in the store. And so uh, I think we were supposed to have like a certain placement and um, I was in New York and I went in and I couldn't find our record anywhere. Like our label had done none of the things that they said they were going to do. I asked for my record the day that it came out. They gave it to me. I bought one and then I, I excuse me, I bought, bought one. Um, and then she had put the other two uh, on the counter and told somebody to put them up. And I just went and I put it up next to, I put it up next to Leon Bridges. Cause I was like, oh, that's where it was supposed to be. And then I left the store. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. And I was like, it's not always going to be like this. <laughs> right. Or it, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think, well, I mean, 
maybe this sounds like an obvious statement, but it's like, the, I don't think the music industry will exist in a hundred years. You know, yeah. like <laughs> I think it is on us to revolutionize these things for artists, but I, I'm just like what I was saying about data before. I'm, I'm just feeling like it's, I, I, I love the music industry. It is my second family for better or for worse. But like, um, I, yeah, I, I, when I was talking about the data stuff, I just think like, it, yeah, it's just all about fans. Like, I don't know if we need all this other bullshit. You're right. Um, and I, I think that again, if the industry doesn't transform its habits, the way that it's currently functioning, um, you know, it's, it, it won't be here because artists, especially during this time have learned that we drive, like we drive the industry. If there's no art, there is no industry. And it's like, if we don't learn how to respect ourselves, you know, we can't respect one another. But I definitely don't want to go back to what the old industry was because we weren't being treated well. And it, you know, it wasn't necessarily because um, of all the isms or whatever. It it was just like, this is a fucking money, like it's it's a money pit game if you uh, allow it to be. But I was like, we have to focus on the things that we can control. Um, And so... I am hoping when we come out of this that, you know, while I know what we're doing to improve, I hope that the industry isn't coming back prepared to be the same. Agreed. I don't think it will. I just, I think you're right. There, there needs to be, and there will be a revolution. And uh, that's exciting, actually. (laughs) I'm hopeful. I'm so very hopeful. (laughs) It's coming. Um, okay. So chapter three is get your business affairs together and fair compensation. So obviously, um, if there's, you know, if, if be as not specific as you want, obviously, if that makes sense. So, um, here we're talking about, you know, like songwriting splits, like any thoughts on how to handle that? Talk about it. (laughs) Talk talk about it early. Like talk about it after you work on a song, talk about it before you work on a song. A lot of artists are not encouraged to talk about it, especially women, especially people of color. Um, You know, there are no statistics on that (laughs) because uh, who the fuck is going to cover them? Maybe I'll do it one day. But the thing is, is that um, it is so much harder to get uh, respect and to be heard if you don't ask for it. And in an industry that is traditionally sleazy, if you don't put that conversation into practice, uh, it will become a common thing for you to get screwed over. Agreed. Um, Again, feel free to talk about this or not. Um, Thoughts on getting a band agreement together from someone that is in a band with a million people. (laughs) Do it as soon as possible. (laughs) Uh, yeah, have a band agreement as soon as you know you're going to be a for real band. Like, that doesn't mean like, um, I mean, honestly, like if you, you should have a band agreement. Like, um, we're, we're in a day and age now where people sometimes just aren't taught to be a good person. And, uh, and that's not, that's not a reference to anybody. I know that's just in general, um, and so sometimes you have to just like establish some, some rules and, yeah. and, or kind of like a, like a will, like, okay, just in case anything happens, cause God forbid, we don't know, nothing's promised, but like, um, if anything happens, like, okay, like, is this going to go to somebody like your, your royalty or whatever, 
excuse me, or or if you want to leave, can you be voted out of your own band? Like those kind of things. You know, it can, it can sound really silly at first, but sometimes you have to have that shit set up if this is what you're really trying to do. And people always joke because in the people, Emily, I'm going to say something really, really fucking real right now. Do it. People always joke about the splits and the percentages and the business side of the music industry because they don't take the industry seriously. And we are seeing the consequences of that right now through them taking their asses so fucking slowly to get the HITS Act passed, to get the CARES Act extended because they don't fucking care about artists. And the reason they don't care about artists is because artists don't care about themselves. So until we start taking ourselves seriously, not only as creators, but as business people, as uh, leaders, as game changers and and enactors of cultural effect, the rest of the world is not going to do that. Excuse me. The United States of America is not going to do that because in other countries, their artists are not treated with such disrespect into which we are. And that includes the people working on the tech side. But again, the the United States of America is a new nation. And I'm so glad that you mentioned what was happening in Britain because we don't think of ourselves like that. We are still coming into a, a space where we're just now realizing, wait, art's a job? Right. Creating's a job? You can be your own, you can own your own business? You can be a professional musician? What? No way. But we'll see. Yes. Amazing. Um. You, you already touched on recording a little bit and, you know, most people kind of have that figured out. So that's chapter four. Um, um, one thing I will say about recording, especially again, if you, if, if you don't have the money or you don't have the tools, learn how to record yourself so that yeah. you can learn how to speak the language in the studio. And that's like, even at a very basic level, every iPhone comes with a free version of GarageBand, which is, you know, a DAW service or a recording service that you can you excuse me program that you can use to record music and but learning how to use this and learning how to use all of these tools that's the next generation of creators is yes you're going to have to know how to write music yes you're going to have to know how to sing but if what happens if there's another pandemic and we have to stay inside you will lose revenue if you don't know how to record yourself that's right. And that's exactly why that chapter is called how to record with or without a budget. Mm-hmm. So, um, are you open to talking about uh, your music publishing situation? Uh, sure. So who's, uh, how do you handle your music publishing? Uh, so we have a publishing admin that we uh, just signed a deal with this year. The company's called Mixtape Music out of uh, Los Angeles. Um, but before that, uh, you know, we were running it all ourselves and we would occasionally, uh, have people that worked for, uh, different licensing companies and stuff that would occasionally do sync stuff with us. Like almost every, uh, licensing and sync opportunity that we've ever had has come through word of mouth from, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Robot to, uh, Queen Sugar. And it, it's absolutely incredible, but, um, you know, the, we talk about growth, you know, and so it's like, 
you never know how much you can get unless you get somebody helping you, right? Especially if you're not the absolute pro in that field. And uh, Roxanne Oldham, who um, I met a few years ago, actually, before we started working with her in this capacity, um, it has has joined up with us on our team to take over that side of the business. And um, I really got to see her work, uh, you know, just this year because we had um, Brene Brown had reached out to us because she she really likes our song "Take Me to the Good Times" and she wanted it to become the official song for her uh, podcast on Spotify uh, called "Dare to Lead." And um, Roxanne, you know, really uh, helped take the lead on that with our manager Meredith, and um, it was just really nice to see what can happen when you let people that are professionals at that side of it. Uh, run it. However, um, when we didn't have uh, people helping us, that chapter before (laughs) about having the paperwork together became Mm -hmm. so monumental and the same about having the band agreement together because uh, we had a few instances where people wanted to license the song or sing the song where, you know, people that wrote the song um, we're no longer in the band. And so the way that they would get paid was so tremendously different than if they were still with us. And so, um, you know, we had to get, we had to get a lot of help now when it comes to, uh, like the way we handle our money and all that stuff, like we have a business manager uh, and that was like one of the first we we invested in our business manager when we had absolutely no money <laughs> because that was the most important component for us. Like mm-hmm. we we absolutely love our management team um, and and our publicist and everybody that has helped us with every single little thing. Um, but you know the business management side of this is something that we have acknowledged that we can't that we cannot do ourselves, especially being so many members and it was becoming confusing. And, um, you have to really decide, uh, if, especially if you have no money, which we had, we had no money, (laughs) but, um, you, you really have to decide where and how you spend your money and like what you can do yourself and what you absolutely can't do yourself. Like I didn't want to do our fucking taxes, like hell no. So I, <laughs> I was like, okay, let's let's get some help there. All right, um, you know, I've I've learned that I get treated uh, very poorly in a lot of business spaces within the industry for different reasons. Great, I need to have a manager immediately. I need to have an agent mm-hmm. immediately, and not because oh, I just need to have them, but because we had already built up the base to where touring was our main revenue, like before COVID had happened. Um, we'd probably be on tour at least six months a year. And right. that's with record or no out al- with an album or no album out. That's just how hard we, we tour. And, um, th- th- this year, you know, again, it, it's like everything that we've, we've learned and seen what, what, what we can do and what we can't, um, we're now realizing like, okay, we want to focus even more on the art. We need to start seeing like, how we can generate more to bring in a social uh, media uh, manager because yes, we can post and do that. But like, 
we're just not that great at it. And Mm -hmm. like, instead of arguing about that, (laughs) like, okay, if like, if that's our, if that's a splurge we can eventually get, then fuck, if we all hate it, then let's do it. (laughs) It's so much work too. When I voted as funded, I, I might feel a little differently now, but when we first did, I voted, I was like, when we're funded, my first hire is a social media person. <laughs> like I totally get it. Like, yeah, and I think it's not even because of the act of posting. It's the suck in of being on there. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm not benefiting from this right now. Like even with uh, what's the new app clubhouse, it's like, I I'm addicted to clubhouse, but it's like, I can't, uh, I can't spend my whole day on there because I have to finish you know, recording myself, I have to, you know, do podcasts, I have to do interviews, I have to keep writing and all this other shit. But like, when I was having to post on like, Instagram or Twitter, like, the thing that isn't like Clubhouse is that I could walk away on Clubhouse and keep working on something else on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everything else, I have to be tuned in. And I'm also fed a lot of, you know, noise. And photos I've already seen or uh, the same people over and over and over again. And it's like, okay, this algorithm is a boring and thinks that it knows me when it doesn't. Um, Additionally, like I have so much work that I need to do and it's not going to get done if I'm on this fucking phone. So, um, you know, like I, I have like taken a step back so that I could focus again on the work but I try to respect and continue to learn social media because it's not going away. Right. Absolutely. Um, cool. So chapter six, setting up your release and distribution plan. Um, what do you think about, I mean, I feel like distribution changes every day, but what do you think about it right now? I know you're recording. Um, but yeah, any thoughts on distribution? You know, that's actually, (laughs) that's actually a side of it that I'm still learning how to do better. And, um, you know, I think we're probably going to, if, if we stay independent with this release, we'll probably go through, uh, the orchard again. Um, but, um, we're, you know, (laughs) it's, I, I don't have an opinion on it because I, I'm still learning how to do a better job there. I wouldn't overthink it for what it's worth. Uh, my main thing on that is, um, you know, like ideally if the music can be available via your website, definitely on Bandcamp. Um, if, if getting it, you know, making it available via the website is, is torture. Um, you know, you can embed from Bandcamp because again, the, the profit margins are just so much higher on Bandcamp. And so that, get- that's what we were talking about earlier today. Cause we were like, it seems like Bandcamp is the smartest way to release right now like a part of me feels like Bandcamp is going to emerge as like the true winner in all of this and how you treat bands and still can make money um like that whole one once a day or a month or whatever like that's insane like if you do it the right way it's insane um but I don't exactly know how uh, we're going to go about it just yet, but like right now their, their methodology is like the most, uh, attractive to us. Um, cause everybody else, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> and I'm all about music being everywhere. Definitely review that chapter when you can. Cause I'm like, get it, you know, on your website, you get a hundred percent of the profits and all the data. 
Um, Bandcamp, obviously they're waiving their fees sometimes, which is amazing, but you know, you're going to get 85% and the fan data, which to me is actually like how you build a sustainable music career. I mean, again, the art has to be amazing, but get those email addresses, get those phone numbers for a text club, know where those fans are. So that's also the power of Bandcamp. Um, yeah, I mean, you and, and people listening can all, can all review that chapter, but yeah, I, I think collecting, I, I don't think, I know collecting data is, is so freaking important. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I interviewed Zoe Keating a while ago for the forward of this book and oh. she was, I used that for the, the forward of the podcast basically. And, and when I asked her about distribution, she's like, do I release it in a lampshade now in a t-shirt? Like, uh-huh. what am I doing? That's so it's funny. changing. Yeah. Collect that fan data and, and Bandcamp is, is wonderful. Yeah, no, we're, we're definitely going to start like diving a bit deeper into how we can do a better job um, over there and really just on all the platforms, because I feel like this year, so many different options emerged for us and um, not just us, but just all artists, because people are getting fed up and want to offer other ways for people to share. Absolutely. Um, so what does the word marketing mean to you? That's chapter seven. Ooh, <laughs> the word, the word marketing to me. And I always, I feel like I always get it confused, uh, with advertising. Um, right. but I feel like marketing is when we try to introduce not just our music, but like just our brand um, to specific groups in very uh, well thought about ways, uh, either through um, physical <laughs> like things that are visible to them through uh, popping up on on playlists or whatever, or um, you know just basic word of mouth um, advertising. Advertising, I feel is almost more driven through dollars spent, but I feel like marketing can be more grassroots. Definitely. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, so you are a powerhouse, you and your band, powerhouse mm-hmm. live performer. Um, so how has this been, how has this year been for you? Like not being on the road, but also like what's working for you with live streaming and webcast? I mean, you're your I voted performance was so fucking amazing. It was so, so good. Thank so you. really that's working, but yeah, what's working, what isn't, how, you know, tell me about your 2020 as far as live goes. Thank you. Um, yeah, well at the beginning of the pandemic, I was performing every week on Facebook live and I was loving it. And then, uh, I mean, to be honest, after Breonna Taylor and George Floyd got murdered, I, just didn't feel like performing as much anymore. And I was really sad. And um, I like, I almost couldn't like uh, express why I was so sad. And then I realized I was like, oh, it's because like I'm over here every week pretending like this shit is okay and not talking about it. And, you know, this year has been so developmental for, for us in so many different ways, but I feel like being able to like have those, those direct interactions early on to let the fans know, like, look, I'm really going through this 
And I don't know if I can continue to do this like this, especially when I don't have my whole band, because it was such, it was already a lot to be performing by myself. I was performing to like mastered uh, recordings of our band and, you know, just trying to make it work and set up a full on little production studio in my room. Um, But then around like, I want to say the end of June, I was like, okay, I never want to punish our fans for anything, especially when it's an an event driven by hate. Um, And I never want to allow that to interfere with what I love, especially if I'm in a position to where I can help people heal from it. And so um, I did one more show that was free. And then we switched over, uh, launched our Patreon and started exclusive, exclusively performing for Patreon um, so that we could, you know, just A, find a new way to connect with our fans, but a way to do it better. Um, and then we um, started doing like little noon chorus uh, shows where it was what I was doing before for free. Uh, but recently we were like, okay, we have to get real. We don't want to keep, you know, doing the same shit. And so we have to put more effort and production into this. We haven't been getting together um, because we're also spread out. And so we have had to do the kind of like almost Brady Bunch kind of style presentation sometimes. But I'm like, if that's what we have to do, okay, let's step up the lighting. Let's step up the music. Let's step up the sound, like the aesthetic, like everything. And so now we're prepping a show for the holidays. Um, I'll do my final, like, solo for the suffers uh in that capacity show for for as as far as like pay this money come and see us do it like this kind of kind of way um and we're gonna start working more on doing these sets together remotely while we're still like this a so that we can step up our own education and how we record how we uh perform the songs uh, but how we work together through these processes. And it is my goal that we come out of this with like a little baby uh, production studio and that studio, a baby like production and uh, video uh, team, but within the band so that, you know, when we start thinking of bigger uh, stuff and, uh, you know, we start making videos or whatever, okay, if we're not able to pay to get a full-on crew to do these like big productions, well, shit, I own a camera. Choppy owns a camera. Nick owns a camera. We got three other people that could either be in the shot or they could be holding the cameras. Okay, great. I used to write and uh, do a lot of creative writing. I still do occasionally. Great. You know, we have people in the band that know how to do a lot of stuff, but it's like, again, and I blame the United States for being so lazy and so suppressing of its artists that people don't understand that most artists can do more than just one thing. And it's because we're not allowed to truly tap into our true potential um, that, you know, a lot of times we don't really see that. And I really do look at COVID as a, as a blessing uh, as much as it has been a curse. Um, and I'm trying to take advantage of it in the ways that I can. And so this in-house education, um, you know, even if we end up not releasing everything like this, it's like, okay, great. Well, we can know how to ask for what's wrong better because you'll have 
learned how to edit or we can know how to ask for color correction because you know that terminology now rather than like thinking that something's off. Amazing. I, I totally, yeah, I think there's a lot of that coming out of this, which is incredible. Um, just a couple more questions. Uh, what's your relationship with merch like? Um, it's always improving. <laughs> so we just participated, or I guess we're at the tail end of it now, in an incredible co-op program through the students at Northeastern University, um, where we had one of the classes uh, that was actually a, a merchandising class do little baby mock-ups of like what their age demographic thinks is cool, what they would want to spend money on. Everybody got these um, fake budgets of $2,000 and, and down to like uh, the design and the aesthetic got to help us pick. So we got like six different um, presentations from these, these young uh, adults that were just you know, they didn't really know the band like that, but they love music and they love buying merch. And so it was just this, these fresh uh, introductions into a business that we thought we knew so much about having toured so for so long. So for us, when we first started the band, we just had, you know, one black and white t-shirt and it was fine. And uh, we expanded over the years. But when we first started touring, we had no idea. We had no idea how much merch we needed. We had, we, we learned when we opened for Lake Street Dive, that um, you have to have your merch game together or you're going to lose money. Yeah. And so thankfully we, we over ordered. So we thought, and uh, you know, it's like, if you get that opportunity to open for that big band or a much bigger band that's doing theaters every night or arenas every night, you have to have your merch game together because that's probably what's going to make up a significant part of your, uh, your your money and yeah. uh, for us it, it was such a game changer and we learned like really quickly okay this is how you invest here okay you want to make sure that you have a higher quality shirt when you can because it it makes a difference people like oh. it feeling nice and they remember those shirts that are like oh I like this one it feels good you know mm -hmm. You know, you also remember your shirts that don't feel good, that don't, that you don't feel cute in. And it's like, I, I always try to tell them, I'm like, you know, if we're making a shirt like I, or, or a new, really nice merch item, I want to make sure that if we're putting a, a gender on anything that it can fit boobs, you know, mm -hmm. and like, it's really important to me, not only because I have boobs, but because I listen to the fans and, um, you know, we have bigger fans. We write all these songs about food, you know, it's going to happen. And so they're like, yo, Cam, we got to, we got to, got to get some three, four, five X. And it's like, we can't always do a five X, but you know, we definitely always try to have a three or a four, you know, a, quite a few of the threes because they get sold. I love that. Um, so you definitely referenced uh, team members throughout your journey. Um, yes. Are there any additional that that are a part of your team? You you mentioned Meredith uh, for management. You have a business manager. You have a publicist. You have a booking agent. Um, are there any other team members? Yes. So we have we technically have two managers. So Reed Martin is our other manager. Um, we depending on whether or not we're about to release something. Uh, if we're about to release a record, we try to make sure that we have uh, 
someone that we can assist that can assist us with a radio campaign. Um, we try to make sure that we have a publicist every time we release something. If we're not able to retain our publicist the whole time, um, you know, we try to make sure that we save up at least enough money to compete. Uh, and I say compete with like with ourselves, really. Like you, you always want to try and make sure that you're you're doing just as good as your last release, if not better. Um, and it's not always going to be that way. Everybody's going to consume the music in a different way. I don't mean that in terms of response, but I do mean that in terms of like national and global uh, PR campaigns. Like if, if you are an artist and you know that that's like something that you've just gotten consistently over the years, you know, that's what you need to be striving for. I also appreciate every local publication that, um, takes the time to cover us. I try to do, um, do everything. And so I would, I would say our team is like various, various publicists, but our, our last one for this record, uh, was, uh, missing peace and they, they were absolutely amazing. Um, we have a lot of really close friends that occasionally will step in and help us. Uh, Daniel Jackson will help us a lot with like photography and occasionally with social media. Um, but honestly, like we try to just lean on the folks that really want to, want to help us, uh, when they want to help. Like I, I do, I really do believe that when you are, uh, starting your journey there, uh, there's always going to be those people that might start as fans, but they become friends and then family. Like Craig doesn't work for us. <laughs> he's a friend, you know, but you know, he's always, I would consider him a friend and and teammate because he's just always giving us such great advice. Also, he like took a vacation um, to Texas one year and he was like, oh, y'all are playing near these dates. And um, he like sold merch for us. And we've had so many different people sell merch for us, but like, God bless them all. <laughs> like, yeah. God bless all the merch people because that 10 minutes, five minutes after you get done with the show, if, if you're still an artist that goes and talks to the fans after, which I try to do, um, yeah. you know, I don't know how it's going to be in COVID. We'll see. I'll try my best, but like, or post COVID, <laughs> but, um, you know, those, it makes such a difference when you have help, um, on those fronts. And I, I know and have experienced when we didn't have that help when, you know, we're out there selling our, our own merch. Um, you know, most of the time we're still driving our own van and, um, you know, checking ourselves in. We, we don't have a TM most of the time. Um, cause we opt for the sound engineer over the TM. Uh, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, it, 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 you learn what works for you and what works for your setup. And it's like, yes, you might want to have the big bells and whistles of, you know, the, the Beyonce's and shit and Foo Fighters and all their teams and whatnot. But it's like, you know, those are, those are all such gradual, uh, things, you know, like you, you get there eventually. Um, this, this is the first time that we've had a team this big. Um, it definitely wasn't this big when we started. Uh, but we, we are so grateful for all of them and the work that they've done and that they continue to do. 
And I reiterate the fact that we would be nothing without our team. And we are so grateful. I don't know about that. I don't think that's true. Yo, yo, Emily, I can play my shows, but my team helps me fucking go. Like you do a awesome team. It wasn't a diss on them. It's more like you guys are amazing. Definitely. I, I wouldn't say that would be nothing. I would say that teamwork okay. definitely makes the dream work. Like, I love it. It really does. And, you know, it, it has really made me appreciate uh, having a team so much more because at first we, we were all so hesitant. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't need a team. <laughs> Now it's like, where are they? <laughs> I, know, I, I get it. And again, it's like, that's why I wanted you for this chapter's episode. I, I feel like you define repeat and grow. You've done so much on your own. You've assembled this team that that you f- feel really good about. And um, that's exciting. I'm so excited for the new record. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> where can folks find you? Where can they check you out? Oh, well, the easiest place to, to keep up with my band would be thesuppers.com. Um, if you want to follow me, uh, you can do that at bam. It's cam uh, with cam with a K on Instagram, or you can follow me on Twitter at cam Franklin or on Facebook at cam Franklin. I'm I'm not a big Facebook person, Twitter, Twitter and Instagram gets most of my time. Um, (laughs) but we're out there and our music is available everywhere. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. And please check out Cam and the Suffers music. It's incredible. And thank you so much for your time. I I, I loved all of this. I could talk to you for many more hours. And, and <laughs> no, thank you so much. Thank you for writing your book. It's been just such a, such a good help. And uh, thank you for doing this because I know it's going to help folks that maybe didn't have the chance to dive into the book the way they wanted to. So thank you. Oh my gosh. Well, I... Yeah, you're going to make me cry. That's a wrap for this episode of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. Tune in next week where we continue discovering and going through the repeat and grow chapter, this time through the lens of artist Nikki Hill's career. And in the meantime, if you have questions or need anything, I'm at EMWizzle on Twitter. A lot of you have been hitting me up on Instagram. That's great too. Same, Same username. And again, thanks as always to my engineer, Nathan Kane, music by Matthew Wong, and we'll catch you next week with artist Nikki Hill. Thanks again. Bye.